Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 326 of the podcast and our first boy of summer. Happy June, one and all. Uh, I'm so, so delighted and uh, honored to offer you our first boy of summer, Basim Youssef. He is an extraordinary person with an extraordinary story. Not to say he just has one story, but let's think of that in the macro story sense. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I think you absolutely will. I want to thank all of you who came to Pod X. It was wonderful. Uh, what a treat getting to podcast Undisclosed Susan Simpson. That episode will probably release as sort of a special summer episode. Um, that's that's certainly the plan, so I'll keep you posted on that. And uh, I want to just let you know that I will be doing actually kind of a lot of of convention appearances over the next couple of months uh, and festival appearances. The best way to keep track of that is to follow me on Twitter, which is just at Janet Varney, or Instagram, which is at JV Club. Wait, it's at the JV Club. I forgot my own Instagram handle. What a pro. What a pro who's not going to go back and edit that. Uh, So at the JV Club uh, for other appearances. And then um, just, uh, you know, thing I always forget to do, which is ask you to rate uh, the JV Club on Apple Podcasts with five stars, if you feel so bold and generous. Uh, That's it. Enjoy the episode and I'll talk to you guys soon. I don't have a fancy way of getting into this, so I just sort of press record, cross my fingers, say a quiet prayer, and hope for the best. Okay. It's happening. Yes. We're in it. We're doing it. It is. Let's do it. We're on board. Yes. Does it feel like we're on any kind of a ship? No. We just we're just speaking with two sticks in our hands. Not at all. And by the way, I don't know if these work. I I don't know either. Yes. These are. This is a whole. This is my play set. Uh, I'm a child, and well, actually, that's a funny thing for me to say because here I here I bring you into my home and say hey I know this is not very professional I prefer not to go into the studio to record because I like to be very personal and of course you started doing everything that you started doing on the entertainment side in your home so why yeah, would I worry a, about you in the, the laundry in, the, in the laundry home I have no expectation right. I it's like, like always Robin Williams say it's like Buddhism come nothing come with nothing expect nothing leave with nothing that's right uh, yes well you might leave with something I might give you one of my dogs I can't guarantee yeah, maybe, or, uh, yeah. or I don't know like a husband or unwanted baby whatever you want sure <laughs> sure even a wanted one even a wanted one that's true altruism when yeah. you're able to hand over something that's very precious to you yes uh, so so good so this is not uh, t- terribly unsettling that we don't have a bunch of people sort of holding holding their fingers no, up to it's, their it's, ears. No, it's 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 easier this way. We're 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 sitting in the living room. We're talking. It's very casual. That's right. And basically, that's what uh, uh, what conversation is all about. People very comfortable and casual. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. So what we established before I started recording was that I had some old information on you, my spies, aka the world of publicists. <laughs> Neglected to tell me that you're now down here in Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles full time, uh, experiencing the industry with all of its uh, rejection full time. Oh, I mean, really, you can't really know what it is until you've just bathed in it 24-7. Yes, yes, Oh, what a treat. But you are, but in fairness to all of the people who really have no, who have come here with absolutely no uh, cachet, if you will, you have come here as a very famous person worldwide for very specific reasons. You can say that, but uh, the thing is, at the end of the day in Hollywood, it's like, oh, you're famous where you are. That's good for you. But <laughs> but, but, but here, here's here's what's interesting. Um, at the age of 38, 39, uh, I was a heart surgeon getting ready to leave Egypt to start a fellowship, a clinical fellowship in a hospital in, in America. And then the revolution happened and I started doing these little YouTube videos and they exploded. And suddenly I have a TV deal and suddenly I'm a TV host and suddenly I host the most popular political satire show in the history of the Arab world. If you imagine 40 million people watching it each week, it's like the Super Bowl every week. Does that feel real, by the way? I mean, is there a certain point at which the numbers sort of become almost just this sort of fantasy of like, how do you... Do, I, do, do, do you do you really feel that number when you think I, about I, it, or is it I, I like ne- 10, I, 40 million? I, I, never let, I, I never let myself cons- be consumed by that. I was always focused on, on trying to keep um, 
the level and the quality of the show up because when you are out there and you have that much exposure you have fans and fans are your hardest critic and we can all learn from game of thrones how right. how like uh, so much love turned into so much hate in a sudden because you don't satisfy the urges but i it was also a very precarious uh, environment because we're doing political satire with the rise of islamism and then military dictatorship and i was loved by many hated by many i was attacked by many i was persecuted by the regime and i a lot of people here joke about like what is it what's the status of freedom of expression under the the new administration in america but when you when your whole life and freedom is on the line because of the jokes that you say on television when your life is actually threatened when you get summoned and interrogated for six hours, when you have your show canceled a couple of times, when you have your satellite signal intercepted by the military so you oh want it like do it, when you have people coming to your uh, theater and, and put it under siege and burn your picture outside and you're inside trying to do a show about comedy, that uh, increases the stakes. And I had eventually to leave Egypt. And I came here. And the thing is... I had, I even before I left and even after I left, I had all the opportunities to stay in the Middle East if the arrangement was right. So they would offer me to stay, do the show, but there would be some sort of arrangement. So they're going to be looking good, but like they're going to be some sort, sort of red tape that I'm allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. And they would throw money and, and, and all kinds of deals, and I didn't get it. And it was a very hard decision to leave the place where I had everything and I had all of the um, temptations to get all of the money and a very comfortable life. I mean, the people were talking about like four or five million dollars a year just to do the show and you're going to be safe. And and five, four or five million dollars in Egypt goes a long way. In Anywhere it goes sure, a long way. But sure. like it much goes much longer in, in the Middle East. And I said, uh, uh, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to do that. And I, and I came to America basically, and I started all over again. And it's funny because now I'm 45, and I'm trying to get into the world of comedy as a, with my second language, as English. Uh, and so far, I've been touring the United States with my uh, stand-up. It's a one-man show basically, and I'm, 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 I'm. I'm I'm going places like Connecticut and San Jose. Yeah, I was going to ask if and, you were and, uh, sticking to cities uh, or if you really were sort of Yeah, I, 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 I was in clubs. Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is like a very small uh, uh, comedy club, and 80% of the people have not heard of me before. And that was a test if is, are people coming in because of my story or is it also because of the quality of the comedy? Because that's also important. Because you cannot live... Uh, in the shadows of your story as being a hero who done something in the past. You have to have always something to uh, to offer because, yeah, people say, like, all right, great, you had a great story in the past. What, right. what are you going to give us today? How are you going to continue building on that? Because you, I can't just, like, tell the story. Right. After a while, all right, big deal. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. You're amazing. So what? <laughs> Entertain me. I'm not laughing. Yeah, I'm not yeah. laughing yet. So, but, but that journey gave me a perspective of how to compare between media, fake news, um, uh, conspiracy theories, and the idea of changing your life in such a late stage of your life. Okay, but that's basically my, my midlife crisis now on the global level. And, and, and I am... I, and I'm... I'm and, and and I, I I make fun of what I have seen in Egypt. I make fun of what I have seen in the States. Especially I'm belonging to a certain minority, which is Arab Muslims, and we know that we don't have such a pristine um, image. And I find humor in that. Mm-hmm. And And I make it relatable to the people listening to me. And it doesn't matter if you're an Arab Muslim, Indian, black, white American you will find something that relates to your story. And 
I'm ve- I, my last run of of shows, I I played the Kennedy Center twice. I did two shows in one night. They were sold out. I did I did Vermont, whitest place in, in the union. I did uh, San Jose. I did Bridgeport, and I was very happy that when I did the show, the reactions of the people from different backgrounds, Asian, uh, Arabs, Americans, they said the same thing. They said, we laughed so hard, but you gave us so much to think about, which is the, the purpose of the show. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a veteran stand-up comedian, and I don't do crowd work. I don't go and, and do crass joke about, like, oh, you've been dating, how long right. have you been sleeping <laughs> right. together? Like, how right. is his thing shows? And I, went, <laughs> I, 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 I'm I, not I, laughing because I want you to do that. I, 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 I don't do that. Right. I, I, but I do a very meaningful story, a journey, that I get people engaged in, into it. And I want to take this story to places. I, I, I have weird dreams of maybe taking it to a one-man show on Broadway. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems ambitious, but seven years ago I was a doctor. Yeah. Right. So. It, just a measly old doctor. Uh, yes. Just you, a measly just old. A doc- just heart a, just a doctor. Just like open people's blah, hearts blah, and just like blah, cut blah. them through and tinkering sw- around and suit your stuff and switching all the I know. It's just like Snore. You know, it's very very boring. Uh-huh. And and and. <laughs> but but it's it is, I think it is um, as terrifying as it is having to change your life in such um, an unfriendly environment. Not because people are like throwing eggs at me or something, but it is, it's not my environment, it's not my language, it's not my audience, it's not my country, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's a very difficult environment. And now I'm, I have some sort of an established schedule of touring and going to London next month. Um, then I'm going to New Jersey, and then I have in the fall I'm going around in Chicago and and Arizona, and it's 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 I wouldn't think that that would have been possible. And I know that many of your listeners are teenagers and and young listeners, and I think they need to understand that everybody on the outside of their lives they always tell them that they can't make it and they wouldn't be able to make it and they put all of kind of obstacles in they 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 discourage them and i have been discouraged so many times so as a doctor they told me you'll never be make it to tv and when i made it to tv after the first season i said i'm done doing recorded episodes i want to do live audience and by the way the the concept of live audience shows before i did my show was non-existent mm. and i said i want to do it and said like you must be crazy nobody does that in the airport yeah you're gonna fail it, it we all have all of these paid extras the clappers and said it's going to be open for the public mm-hmm. people can come and i remember one of my veteran the veterans like what what if they don't laugh it's like well we're going to write better jokes and they discouraged me and i did it and it was the f- f- and then after i finished all of the all of the TV shows now they all have live audience in, in the Middle East because yeah. of that show, and then I came here and everyone was like, "You're never gonna make it here. We are the only one who understand you. Americans don't care about you." And now I have an established career, not 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 as successful in Egypt, but I'm still starting. Yeah, and then I created this show about veganism and plant-based diet in the middle east and everybody said like nobody's gonna watch you because they only want you as a political satirist and i said no i want this is something i'm passionate about and as a doctor i feel it can help a lot of people after one week we have six million views we have half a million people signing up for the challenge who have a quarter of a million of on the youtube channel in one week that started from zero and now every it's the talk of the town in Ramadan, which is the most difficult month of the year in the Middle East. And now it is I've created a discussion, I've created a movement, and people are doing it. So it is very important for people to understand that everybody that telling them they can't do it, it's because those people can't do it. Mm, those people well don't said. have the imagination and don't, don't have the perseverance and they don't have the need to do it like them. It's very easy to do it on the outside and it's very important to be unique and follow your own d- destiny and follow your own dream. I have so many questions. Let's yeah, see if course. I can remember even two 
that all of the things that were streaming through my head as you were speaking. One of the things I wanted to ask, uh, because I spent a little time talking about uh, your teenage years, and obviously yours was very different than many of our American listeners. Um, no, I was, a, I, was, I was a typical nerd. You were just a typical nerd. Yeah. I, I, I never even dated at school. I wasn't good with girls. I was good at school. I was good at sports. And my first kiss was at 19, so... Can you, first of all, welcome to my show, everyone. <laughs> so universally, so many of the funniest people I know are like, I kissed someone at 21. Yes. Uh, not that there's any right or wrong experience to have, but would you give us a snapshot or a larger picture of what, uh, of where you grew up, where you were a teenager, and what the educational system was like um, in those sort of formative hormone-ridden years of, you know, say 13 to 18. What is that? What does that look like for you as a teenager uh, I, in Egypt? I was born and raised in Cairo, very huge metropolitan city. Uh, my parents were middle class. We, did, we didn't come from money, but we, we came from good families. And they, uh, like many middle, ca- middle uh, class uh, parents in Egypt, they, the way to move ahead is to put your kids into a better education system. So the government education system in Egypt is horrible. Mm. So they would basically like suffer in order to put us in good schools. I was fortunate to be put in a, in a, in a British system school. It was the most expensive school at that time, at, the, at my time. It was very expensive. And uh, I actually went into that school and I would be classified one of the poorer kids in school. And is there any kind of, uh, there's no there's no sort of uh, situation in place by which there is fi- something like financial aid or anything no, akin no, no, to, no, no, it's no. like, you if you can afford it, you can go. Yeah, if, if you, you can't, can't, you're going to you go to the government go. system. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm talking about high school. I'm yes. not talking about like college. Yes, got it. And uh, so I went in and I had all of these privileged kids that basically came from the richest families in, in Egypt. And I, I didn't come from a rich family. Yeah. And it shows. Did sure. they want to be there in a way that, did, did you want to be there in a, in a way that they didn't? Or was everybody sort of there? No, I, I, like, I, Here I, we I, are, I, high school. High no, 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 I loved school. Yeah. I, uh, school was beautiful. Because you were uh, they, uh, it was a, uh, Middle school and high school were great for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were the same. Middle and high mm-hmm. school were the same. And, and, I I had a, I, I enjoyed the activities whatever but but you feel that there's a difference oh sure financially when people go out when people had the way they dress in school the way it 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 was I felt the difference yeah and it always gave me uh, this um, feeling that uh, my relationship with money was basically uh, defined in that I still now I'm very careful with money. And it's not like so. And when when I became the biggest name in the entertainment in Egypt, and I had all the money, I never even changed my car. I I have the same car that is there ten years like since I when I bought it when I was a doctor. Yeah. And uh, I it it made me feel because they are better than me financially. I couldn't dare to look up and be. Uh, with someone or some of the girls there because, you know, they look for the cool kids, the rich kids. And I wasn't cool. I wasn't rich. I was a nerd. I was good at sports. But I wasn't hated or anything. People yeah. didn't pick on me. Yeah. I, you know, I, we, 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 I had a, uh, and I enjoy it. And I still look back at the days of school with, um, uh, very fondly. And I remember when, the the school did a thirty years reunion, yeah, uh, or twenty years reunion. I can't remember. And and at that time, my my show was like huge. I was mm-hmm. the biggest name in Egypt. And I came in, and I and I came, and I went back to the, 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 the all of the cool kids, the uh-huh. people, were, and they were all coming to me, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing is, and this is what I really like about. I didn't like the fact that like now they like me and they they, they pay attention. I I'm happy because when they came and talked to me, and at the end of the day, it's like Bessem, you're the same person, you never changed. And I was happy that fame and money never changed me. Yeah. And when I meet people from that era, I am happy because this was a simpler time where I was being myself. Yeah. So at that time, I was doing school. And I was in a basketball team. There, the sports is not related to school. The the, the professional sports is have different clubs. It's like Europe. 
Yeah. It's not like uh, here. Uh, school I go to and and uh, at two and then yes, yeah, but school go to math at three. Yeah. No, no, say, but like it is. It, it is school and college. Got here, it. school and college are very strong in sports. Yes. Yeah, you know, the, the football, the basketball, whatever. But there, you had to go to different clubs. Okay. It's not related to school. So, I, I did. I, I did two things. I did basketball. I did school, basketball and school. And then when I graduated, ninety-five percent of my class went to the American University hmm. in Cairo, which is expensive, and we couldn't, we didn't afford it. And I went to medicine because that's government. Oh yeah, see that's not the. the that's not something that I would have known that those two mm. things, because yeah. obviously that's different here. It's like mm. to, to be told, listen, I, we couldn't afford to go to the big college. So I became a doctor is that's a joke in and of itself, no, right? It, For many it, Americans, it's like, wait a minute, you went to like, how no, did that all, the, the, the one thing that qualifies you to go to the medical school is your grades. Yeah. And I was the top of my class. Yeah. I, I was a nerd, as I told you. So my grades gave me the advantage of going it, it doesn't matter how much money you want. If you don't have the grades, you will not get into the school. Yeah. In, did in, you, and so did you have any sort of inclination towards medicine uh, as a high school student? No. Or did it really just become at the no, end? No, I, well, I, 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 I was just a nerd. And economics and mass comm and this just like, didn't make any sense to me. I, I liked hard science. Yeah. I, biology for me was something that I can understand. And it made sense. And also, it has to do with social status in the Middle East. Being a doctor or engineer is the top of the social ladder. Hmm, interesting. What are the, the, is the curriculum in uh, high school? English. In, Everything was in English. It was in English. I, I was taught in English in high school. Because you said, yeah, the British and, system. And, and, and even the medical school, which is government, we were taught in English. Wow. Medical school in Egypt is English. So, and that gave me an advantage because other people came from government school. So I had no problem understanding what was yeah. that. So yeah, it is a very weird system. It's a very... Well, it's, it's fascinating, yeah, especially yeah. to someone like me. You know, because as you know and, and have known as a, even just a fan of, you know, The Daily Show and, and kind of getting stuff filtered through satire, uh, the, the point of view of Americans as kind of the sun that the rest of the world revolves around but it it you there's you, truth you, in it you'll be fascinated guess, that yeah. even egypt think that the the sun revolves around them yeah yeah everybody kind of uh, each thinks, yes how does it I, I, I pertain mean, to I, us i sure. find the americans coming to me it's like oh we're so sorry we don't know anything about egypt it's like well we don't know anything about gabon well that's what i wanted to ask <laughs> no it's true because you know, that's the, the the idea i think there's obviously there are choices now in america and have been where you can go to the lycée Français, or you can go to in uh, the Bay Area. Certainly, uh, there are some wonderful bilingual Chinese, you know, uh, English-speaking schools. But by and large, here there aren't a lot of things that you would study that you would then immediately be taught in a, a different language that's not necessarily. Yeah, and it's the same for everything. So when people say we are ignorant about what's happening in the world, it's like you have to compare apples with apples because when you meet someone from the Middle East and he comes here, he's usually have a certain type of education. He had the ability to travel. He comes here, he's open to the world. So you cannot compare this guy with someone who's selling something in the supermarket in America. You have to sell, to compare him with an American academic who had the ability to travel, who had right. the ability to explore the world. Right. You want to explore, you want to compare, compare a taxi driver here with a taxi driver there. Right. It, it, so... I, I, I reject the narrative of Americans don't know anything about the world. Yeah, we joke about it. Right. But, but in reality, it's not true. Yeah. It, it, Americans are as ignorant about the world as much as the world is ignorant about the world. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast.
kind of going back to the what you consumed as a young person um, in terms of entertainment and pop culture, how much uh, would you be consuming that was um, more indigenous to Egypt uh, or to Arab countries versus stuff that's getting piped in when you were a teenager? I know some of it has maybe become easier and more accessible with the way the internet has exploded and the way streaming television has exploded, but what, were, what did you have access to as a younger person? So I am a pre-internet person, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially in the 90s. Internet was not very really no, available. Not at all. However, I mean, I remember in one week watching Shawshank Redemption and uh, uh, The Usual Suspects in cinemas in Egypt. Yeah. And it was basically four or five weeks gap between us and the United States. Great. And uh, I remember growing up watching Friends and Frasier and Seinfeld and The Muppet Show and MacGyver. And All the greats. And, 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 uh, and CSI. I mean... Six million dollars, man, and mm-hmm. the Bionic Woman, and all of that. I mm-hmm. mean, we 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 watched what what was popular in the United States was also very popular there, and uh, and 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 the music, of course. Yeah. Well, everything. What music there. did you? What what were you? Well, what music uh, well, did you listen to? Well, as a everything. Teenager? Michael Jackson, Prince, um, ABBA, and <laughs> 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 uh, you know, even then, Ace of Base later. You know, but that's not American Swedish. But like, uh, it's just like we go to discotheques, and what what music do you think we listen to? Yeah. We listen to American music. Yeah, we listen to Western music. So yes. We grew up with all of these, and and all of that was pre-internet. Then the internet came, and then cable came in, and we started to watch even more. And, and internet, of course, changed everything, makes everything more available, more interesting, more accessible. Uh, so yes, yes, we we watch everything. Uh, it's, uh, and and one of the things I watched was John Stewart on YouTube. Right, right. Yeah. Well, did you? This is jumping. To, this is absolutely jumping to a totally different place. I'm very bad at segues, and I like to tr- time travel a fair amount. But uh, what did you have a sense before the reactions were to you specifically and to what you were saying and putting out into the community? Did you have a sense of the sort of impassioned anti and and, and incredibly impassioned support of? making statements or, or satirizing uh, the, the regime, et cetera? Like, did you have a sense of like, well, I know people are very passionate about this, so I, in doing this, I'm definitely taking a chance, or was it sort of the tidal wave that came upon you, like, oh, this is, this is how passionately people respond to this so, kind of media? So the beginning of the show, I, when I did it in the internet, I was playing in an area where there was hopefully at that time at least there was like almost a consensus which is making fun of the media of the of the regime that just fell and everybody was in consensus everybody was happy then the islamists arrived to power and now they are in power and as you know political satire goes after people in power so now half of the people are against me because of islamists taking you know like any dogmatic people, they they consider that against Islam. It doesn't have to do. They they personalize everything, and then I went against the military when they came to power, and then I lost the other half. <laughs> 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 uh, so it is. It is. I always knew that I will always have backlash, but there was no other choice other than doing it because that is political satire, and that's why I didn't accept the offer to stay and do. Uh, a compromising show because that will be a betrayal to the uh, the foundations of satire. And so ultimately some of the red tape that you were talking about would be that you would be, that there would be some unnamed persona who would sort of be like, hmm, let me sign off on this, we'll kill no, that, no Not even this, unnamed, yes it would be that. officers. It would be officers reviewing oh, yeah, the scripts like what is happening right now in Egypt. That's basically I mean, what co- the relationship that the show Cops has to networks in the United States, as I'm finding out from this uh, wonderful podcast that is uh, from a former Daily Show producer. It's called Running from Cops, and he's diving very deeply into, you know, the show Cops, where they follow him around, that it's this invitation, like the, the police 
invite the show to come shoot and then they have final say on what airs and yet it's you know put out into the world like this is what the hey it doesn't get any realer than this everybody yeah, but, but imagine if the daily show had to have a an approval for every joke impossible b- by an fbi agent that was exactly the deal yeah. that was given to me and you can't. God, can you imagine? I, there's part of me that almost wants to see the alternate universe where you stay just to see what that show looks like and how unrecognizable it would and probably a, a, be in comparison to you and your a, organic it's, self. It's an air ticket away. Yeah. We, uh, seriously. <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, seriously. Let's just do it. You can go. I can't. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's just like uh, what I always tell people, if you want a time machine, go to Egypt. Yeah. We are a living time machine. And we are a, a time machine, whatever you want. Maybe we, we, you can consider it as a, a, a as a recoil to the medieval places or a, a jump into the future where it's all dystopian reality. So mm. it, it, it's basically whatever you want. It's yeah. there. Do you have a sense of, because I think Egypt is, uh, boy, I shouldn't make any kind of blanket statement about, about do what whatever, anybody other than do, I Do whatever blanket perceive. statements and I will always correct you. You can correct me. Uh, I think there is, at least there, okay, when I was younger, right, the, um, the sense of Egypt was less strongly tied to the kind of way that what was being pushed at us in terms of like, what is Pakistan? What is Afghanistan? What is uh, Saudi Arabia? Like, what are all these countries? What do they mean to us? Oh, they mean oil. Oh, they mean, you know, sandy deserts. Oh, they mean this. And then, you know, as a young person, you what gets pushed at you f- via Egypt is Cleopatra, the pyramids. Stargate. Stargate. <laughs> Yeah, Stargate. You know, of Agatha Christie, the British fascination with the exoticism e- of, in, e- e- of, Egypt of Egypt. Egypt is the oldest India, country. You know? It is the oldest civilization. And it is funny to see that Egypt, we are the only country that have a whole science named after us, Egyptology. Yeah. So, yes, there is the fascination of the history. But what is always missed in the translation is the very long history of dictatorship. Uh, we had monarchy, then we have military, then we had military, then we had military, <laughs> then, we, then we had Islamist for one year, then we had military. So that is always lost in translation. And because Egypt has always been under a, a military dictatorship that are friends with the United States, they don't get the same bad reputation as Iran, for example, because Iran is still a dictatorship. But there, it's not a dictatorship that is your friends. So we are friendly dictators to you. So he's a SOB, but he's our SOB. Right. So basically, Egypt is put into this blank spot where, oh, it is stable. It's not. So now with the Arab Spring, Egypt comes back to the headline in, in, in a different light. And this is why it is people are kind of re-evaluating everything they know about the country. Now they look at Egypt and they think about what's happening there, what's happening with it, with uh, politics-wise, what's happening with um, freedom-wise, and, and that is now the new narrative that you hear about Egypt. That's a good point. I mean, there is there is a sort of life to it that and a spark. That was something that, I, I'm, again, oversimplifying, but... But when you sort of come up with looking, as you said, just so far back uh, in American culture, just kind of looking in the very, very distant past of Egypt and, and you know, wanting to just talk about King Tut and his tomb, his fancy tomb. And then, you know, that you're right, that sort of freezes it, right? In that way, it freezes it. And I think that was one of the things that was so fascinating, exciting, and scary and new about the Arab Spring and just the whole idea of, oh, right, it's a it's alive. It's an alive place with people who are combating all of these different things yeah, that are being thrown at them. It's and, not just Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, yes. Right, exactly, exactly. Hmm. Did What kind of relationship to politics, if any, did you have as, as, a, as a young man who's so, also uh, going and playing basketball and, and, and taking biology? Well, uh, as ma- like many people, I grew up under a dictator who was in power for 30 years. And if you are a dictator who is in power for that long, what happens to most of the people? They become very apathetic right. to politics. It is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, our only way is out. So everybody yeah. is Love basically, it it. everybody is kind of like they just want to get 
done with school and I want to leave, I want to immigrate because, yeah, it's cool, but it's stagnant. I don't want to be there. Everything sta- is stagnant. Everything about... when So when the Arab Spring happened, everybody, including me, who were not involved in politics because we knew that the politics just belong to a certain class of people, became interested in politics because what happens with the revolution? People think that they now have a, a feeling of belonging, mm-hmm. that this is our country and our voice matters and what we do matters, and then they become more involved. And this is why what the military regime in Egypt happened and has been very successful at is that he killed that sense of belonging to people and he returned that feeling of apathy and fear and indifference. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people say, if anybody said me, what is the biggest, the most successful technique that people will, that, uh, that a dictatorship will do to Egypt is not to make them afraid. It's just part of it. Mm. Just being them indifferent. Yeah. That is that's the that is the best, and they 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 succeeded Put in up doing to that. sleep, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is that's a sort of um, that's kind of where almost like sci-fi and satire and politics can merge and be hand in hand, right? Because that's where you get the sort of vonnegut's of the world who are you know creating these sort of. Uh, reality adjacent futures or potentially a hundred percent accurate futures um, and intermingling fiction and science but also that's a lot of the places that you get that refrain of like to quote dune the sleeper must awaken you know the sort of idea of like hey hey wake up look around you know in, yeah. in in my story, a giant spider, you know, was coming and eating you. Mm. In your world, it's just politics. Yes. But it's still a spider. Yes. You know, and so that's, I think, really exciting. And that's one of the places that I think that's why I love satire that also has that kind of, you know, in, in fictional storytelling. And I'm sure people are making, you know, the, the comparisons to Game of Thrones. I'm not online kind of reading through, you know, what compares to what and what the dragon represents, you know, in some yeah. people's eyes. But uh, anything like that where you can get um, a smart metaphor. And for me, the power is is only buoyed and, and the force becomes even stronger if there's laughter involved. Yes. For me, that's just like such a w- an easy way into igniting something for me that's passionate that's larger than just that one laugh yes you know exactly. and, and from what you say about your your material it's it's you know kind of coming at it from from that same kind of place yes did you joke around in school were you were you oh yeah you I, w- I, w- I was a joker but i was loud mm-hmm. i was just loud <laughs> i don't think i was funny i was just loud <laughs> what you make up for with loudness yeah, yeah, you could, yeah. yeah yeah oh my gosh even in um what what was it an environment in which you that was like tolerated, or was that a that was a was that sort of like a, oh? Because in some Catholic schools, no, 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 you know, it, it's like you will not. Uh, no, no, it make was fine. Joke. It was fine. It yeah. was like, we we made jokes. We, yeah. we, we, they were like you know even people. I wouldn't consider myself as the funniest person at all. Right. I was just a regular guy who jokes around like anybody else. And even when I did the show, I didn't rely on me being funny. I just relied on my hard work as a doctor, as a nerd. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I pl- I, so I applied my nerdiness uh-huh. into the show. Yeah. How much... Uh, I, 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 I can't make too strong of a parallel, but I also kind of came into... I came, I came back into comedy and performing um, later. I didn't, you know, graduate from high school and move to Hollywood and start auditioning or anything like that. And, uh, and I... Sometimes people do say like, oh, what if you had, you know, now you've had this, you know, some success doing this. Is there a part of you that wishes that you would have allowed yourself to start this sooner? And I very much am of the mind that I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I wasn't ready. I I had to go and be a human person very far outside of show business to get the confidence and to have a perspective and and work ethic frankly that i i don't think i would have had or or known to adhere to if i had been this like young punk who you know kind of came out here all and started waiting tables i just some people can do that and they have you know whatever it takes the the ambition or the gumption or the true grit to do that i i needed to be a person out in the world does that make sense there's much there's a much much value in your own person experience because comics come from experience. It's just like a bunch of people doing jokes. And that's why older comics 
have a much more deeper value to offer. Because it's not really about writing jokes. Anybody can write jokes. It's it, the more relatable to you and the people who listen to you, it makes a huge difference. So yes, I wouldn't think that I... Everything that I am right now has been contributed to by who I was in the past. And, and also I couldn't be there earlier. There, the circumstances wouldn't have, wouldn't have allowed it. So yes, I, I, I totally... Uh, I, I, I remember when I was younger, I was rushed and I was just waiting for things to happen. But they, they do happen when you're ready, when the time comes. And that's why the younger, peop- younger people, they, and especially in, in this time of age with everything has to come with a side of instant gratification, it, it doesn't work this way. And instant gratification also comes with instant disappointments. So, um, you know, it's much slower. <laughs> it is. And it's hard because there are so many things that um, when you ha- when you do actually grow up into your own skin more, you know, f- feeling the transition between being the person that those things were told to and being the person who now feels just as compelled as those who came before me do to say like, hey, you're not going to listen to me. But I still find I can't not say you, you know, have patience. Please don't be reckless. You are a very vulnerable person made of tissue and bone and muscle and blood. Uh, you know, that feeling of, of, of you know, invincibility yeah. I absolutely had. And it wasn't it's not as concrete when, when you're older, you understand it um, because when you're younger, I, if, if someone had said, like, no, teenagers, they think they're invincible, I would have been like, no, I don't. I'm a very fear- fearful person. I, I'm afraid of doing this. I'm afraid of doing that. Um, that it's, it's much more existential than, you know. So as a teenager, when someone says, like, oh, you don't understand how, you know, that you're mortal and on some level, as a young person, because your brain is still cooking, you can think, like, yes, I do. I wouldn't go skydiving tomorrow or whatever. But as you age the way in which that vulnerability materializes, I think, is just, it becomes more real on some level. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah, but and, and this is part of the reason why when I go and do speaking engagements in universities, people always ask me, what's your advice for our students? And I say, my advice is don't listen to someone like me because you come, you have your own variables, you have your own circumstances. You are a more, much more of an expert of what you're facing every day more than me. Yeah. I come from a different age. I can, and yes, I don't want to sound ancient, but 10 years ago was a different age. 20 years ago was a different age. Absolutely. And, and, and they have tools and variables and obstacles and fa- facilitators that were not available to me and was not present for me. I can only ju- uh, I don't believe that people's experiences are uh, are, re- are replicated. Yeah. A- and everybody well uh, yeah and and that's why I I have I never look down on someone who's young or think that I know better than him. I just know better than him in my own line of for life. For your own yeah, for your own experience. But he kn- he definitely knows what what is with his path and he said when he say I'm confused and I say well that's normal. Yeah. And believe me I'm 45, and Still I'm confused, confused. <laughs> I'm insecure, I'm uncertain, and it is that there's no there's no closure for this. The only closure is death, basically, yeah. and I'm sorry to make it so bleak. Listen, but I it, appreciate it, it, your honesty. It, it, it is, we, we are creatures. That that's the, I mean, the human beings are, a very, are terrible and in the same time fascinating creatures because we live in that. I, 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 people think that if they got everything figured out, they will be fine. It's not. You're going to find something else yeah. that makes you not sleep at night and makes you want, and that's just, that is our motivation. That, and that's the difference between us and animals. Yeah. Animals are motivated by finding their prey. They eat, they stay, and that's it. Oh. We we have that that is what make what sets us apart is that we're always ambitious about something and we're always looking forward to something. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much money and, and, and time and 
and I don't know relationships and love and and belongings. You always have your longing to something. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You would say that too, because what one of the next things I was going to say, just um, from an observation, is that you now you have the you have the experience of becoming, and I don't know, but it, certainly where I'm from, you know, as a doctor, we look on a doctor as an authority figure, and we and so here we have, and then you know you also then become this personality, this person who is perceived as having the courage to speak out about something uh, at great risk, arguably. Um, but, but particularly with doctors, because we have this existential anxiety and because we are, fear death, and that's kind of part of, of our makeup for the most part, and for many of us, the journey is like, how do I get at peace with death before it actually happens to me? Um, do... Is that, is that something that you experience is like, oh, well, you know, you're a doctor. So clearly you, you know how it all works. You've got it all figured out. And then add on top of that, like, oh, you're a celebrity. So you also, you must've figured out how it all works. You no, know? no, we never figure out anything. Yeah. Do you think doctors know anything? <laughs> don't, don't you think that we act like it though? No, no. Don't you think that people go in they're like, doctor, what do I do? <laughs> tell me, just tell me what to do. Just tell, what would you do? Just tell me what uh, to do. Uh, many, ma me. many doctors, not all doctors. Yeah. If you take them 10 inches out of their uh, area of expertise, they are as lost as you. Right. <laughs> so so uh, I'm not saying that there are amazing doctors out there. There are. But that's because of their personality, not because of their profession. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's like who you are, not what you do. The, and, you know, and, and this is, uh, and I think my very short experience in the United States made me uh, very humble, understand that I will never figure everything out. And I am, I'm enjoying that whole opportunity to learn every day. I'm learning something every day. Even if I had, like, so I would have, like, an incredible show today. It's like, yeah, that's it. That's amazing. And then I do the show tomorrow. And I find new ways to tell the story, to tell the joke, to tell, to do the performances. Like, oh my God, I never thought I would, I, I, I would, I would do it this way. And that's one in one area, which is performance. Right. But that that is actually true for everything else. You never, you never figure things out, and that is the beauty of being a human. We are a learning machine. Mm-hmm. Do you look at being here just because of your experience growing up um, in a dictatorship when you when you hear people or, you know, just the way the way we discuss even in like the liberal media or whatever that means, the New York Times, whatever, the way that we perceive and discuss countries other than Egypt, like North Korea, um, do you feel like you have a different perspective coming from a place that everybody else, like that, that somebody coming from a democracy would be like, you're an other, you know, you come from this type of, like this is a regime and this is a regime and these things are evil. Do you know what I'm saying? Is there an oversimplification? Do you feel like you have a perspective that uh, not about Egypt, but also about other places that, uh, that is more nuanced than I, somebody from America? I think uh, there is a very famous saying, I don't know who said it, it said the textbook of dictators are very slim. The, text the textbook of dictators is very slim. It's the same thing. Yeah. It is fear. It is oppression. It is um, using dogma, national security, um, phobias in order to control the masses. Um, so it is the same. And you see glimpses of that in even the conservative right wing in Western democracies. They use the same. The only thing that's holding them back is the system. So, no, there is, of course, there's some sort of oversimplification because at the end of the day, the writer has to speak to their audiences and have to make it in a way that they would understand it. But, yeah, I think I think the theaters work every, everywhere the same. It just depends on the level of oppression and the level of power and brutality of each uh, regime. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey, Max Fun listeners, have you been listening to Max Fun for a while and you've just been wondering, where's the new Flat Earth podcast I keep hearing about? Well, here it is. We give you all the facts on NASA's lies and how we know that the Earth is actually flat. 
Just kidding. <laughs> this is Ono, Ross, and Carrie, and we join fringe religious groups. We undergo alternative medical treatments. And we hang out with people like 9-11 truthers, flat earthers. We find out why do people believe strange things. We join them, and we tell you all about it. We have a lot of fun. We make a lot of friends. Yeah, we do. We joined the Mormons. We joined the Scientologists. We got acupunctured. We got fire cupped. We got ear candled. We've done it all, and we're going to keep doing it all. Why don't you check out Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org? Uh, I want to get into this mash game. Let's do it. For which I have uh, given you some warning. Um, this is going to be our slightly more playful slash fanciful portion of the podcast. For the first category, uh, I would like you to give me three movies uh, that you can jump into. You're not reliving the plot. It's just a chance to go into this totally other world and sort of engage with those characters. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, any Marvel movie? Great. Because I want to have any superpowers. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't mm. you worry. Okay. No, you know what? Pick one. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you pick one. I'm not gonna let one of your choices be any Marvel movie. All right. Mm. Thor. Great. Okay. Next one. Um. Um. Milena. Okay. Just because I like to be in, uh, in with Monica Bellucci because I think she's gorgeous. She's delicious. <laughs> yes. She's wonderful. Okay, great. Thor, Milena. And Mrs. Doubtfire because I just love Robin Williams. Great, great, great. great. Okay. Well, I'm going to use that to jump into this next category. Three uh, comedians for who, with whom, for one reason or another, you're likely not to be able to spend an afternoon with just talking and, and getting to know them and laughing and uh, oh. enjoying their company. So let's do three uh, that in this perfect uh, alternate universe you get to hang out with. George Carlin. Great. Robin Williams again. And John Stewart. Great. Who you have. Mm-hmm. And Likely will again. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, three places in the world that it would be fun to have a vacation home, whatever vacation means to you. If getting there were sort of, they, it was just all on an equilibrium. They're all easy to get to. Fiji. Right. Seashells. And um, um, I always think about islands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, How about Bali? Mm, I already said Fiji. Yeah, I guess that's true. Bahamas. Yeah, great. Okay. Next category, uh, three... This <laughs> this actually ties into uh, Plant B a little bit. Three... This might be in opposition to that, so we'll see what you say. Maybe we'll adapt this category. Uh Three foods or substances, li liquids, liquor, whatever, that in this reality are uh, not good for you. For some reason, it could be ecological, it could be allergy, it could be calorie, it could yes. be anything. That in this alternate universe, uh, we've perfected the vegan healthy version of, and you can just have it at the snap of your fingers in perpetuity. And all the flavors there, it's yeah. all there. Cheese. Great. It's horrible, but if there was like a good alternative, it would be great. Yep. Uh, burgers. Great. And it's happening. There, I was going to say, I just read about some burgers uh, that are apparently really good. No, I, I, already, I already tasted them. How? Were, did you? Oh, Impossible Burger, good. amazing, Beyond Meat. Is great. Them, but Impossible Burger is better. Okay, um, um, Did you grow up vegan, by the way? No, only 500. Ice cream. Ice cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My favorite one that, well, no, it still had like whey protein in it and it's, they, it went out of business. Like everything that I find somebody, I'm the only person that discovers it and that it immediately goes out of business. Uh, next category, all due respect to your current real life relationship of love in this alternate universe. I know you have a thing for Monica Bolucci. I assume she's going to be on this list. This is alternate universe, fun, sexy love times. Hmm. Could be a character, person, any age, any era. Fictional book character, um, whatever you want. Three. Uh, Grace Kelly. Great. Um, and I will have to put Monica Bellucci, yeah. definitely. And um, 
do you feel about Sophie Marceau? Do you know who she is? Oh, thank you so much, Sophie Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> I figured if you liked Monica Bellucci, uh, yes, thank you so you much. Yes. Like Sophie Marceau, thank you so much for bringing that. Yeah. Uh, my pleasure. My genuine pleasure. Uh, okay, three... Hmm. How about three books that uh, you wish were more... Um, just just something that like everyone would read like oh yeah of course we all read blah 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 1984 animal farm same author yeah and um perfume by patrick siskind okay great uh we're almost done uh next category three superpowers uh travel in time great. reading minds Teleportation. Agreed. And uh, spinning off this, even if you don't get time travel, we're going to do a category that's specifically for time travel. So three times and places that you can visit. You're in a safety bubble, so nothing bad's going to happen to you. So you can bear witness to whatever this era is from, you know, dinosaurs, Big Bang, future, whatever you want. Three. The beginning of the universe, the Big Bang, uh, the, the 60s. And uh, if there was Atlantis, I would like to see great. it. Great. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'm going to go ahead and assume there is. Mm. Okay, great. Uh, okay. Give me a number between one and six. Three. Okay. I'm going to pause this. I'm going to do some very important calculations. When I come back, I will give you your 100% guaranteed fictitious mash future. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of the important mathematics have been done. The algorithm was used. The computers were churning away in the giant room full of computers. And I have your future. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your beautiful house in the Bahamas. Mm. One assumes that you were able to just pop in and out of there. I mean, you could decide that you forgot some nail clippers and go back to your house because you can teleport. So that is how simply easy it is for you to get to and from your beautiful home in the Bahamas, where you have unlimited quantities of the most superb ice cream. Mm. You may share this uh, either with uh, your dear buddy, John Stewart, who keeps coming into your life, like it or not, sorry, to George and Robin, who are also geniuses and amazing. And dead. And, and dead. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh, Last time I checked. Um, uh, You can also, when you just want to escape into a a, a complete other world, you can pop into Thor. Uh, That's going to be very entertaining. And you also uh, have the opportunity to visit Atlantis. I'm very excited about that. Well, there's an Atlantis hotel in the Bahamas. (laughs) Listen, if that's the way you want to look at it and you want to just take away that imaginary, wonderful underwater land... I accept it. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you have single-handedly made the the book Perfume, uh, regular reading for anyone everywhere. And uh, the question we really all are wondering, and I consider myself the hero of the day for this, is that you are sharing this all with none other than... Sophie Marceau. Yes. Yes. Ah, Sophie Rousseau. Uh, thank you so much for doing the so podcast. Much. Please uh, tell, this will come out um, the very first week. This will basically come out in, not next week, but the week after that. So um, obviously you have live shows coming up. I have a live show in London, 19th of June. Uh, it's a show in English, it's my one-man show. And then I have uh, five shows in New, uh, in New Brunswick. And in Jersey. See all of this before it hits Broadway. Yes, 18, 19, 20, July. And, um, and I'll we'll be posting about this too of course. on your uh, Instagram. Instagram, well, You have a handful of followers. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, uh, things are looking up for you. Yeah. I, you're going to get there. You'll Mostly get, in the Middle East, but I would like to pick up some, some middle, yeah. middle And yeah, and even if you don't speak Arabic, the, the show Plan B, which is a, a plan based diet. Uh, uh, the show it's online it. it's YouTube and you can understand because there are yeah. subtitles and the experts speak in English so you have no problem that's right that's absolutely right mm. there's a lot for you to check out and get into I am personally delighted the last thing I have to do and then I will stop recording is that as listeners to my show know when I get into the Boys of Summer series you are my first I usually ask people to sing Boys of Summer you've never heard it I feel the only 
uh, possible thing to do is for me to sing some of it to you. All right. Uh, so here I go. Okay. I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun. You got your hair thrown back and your sunglasses on, baby. I can tell you my love for you will still be strong after the boys of summer have gone. Does it sound familiar? Yes, yes, Yay! yes, yes, yes. We did it. I'm horrible with li- I horrible with lyrics, but I'm good with tunes. That yes. was great. We did it together. Uh, all right, everybody. Awesome. Guys, I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.